0: Well, this morning we get to continue on in our study through the book of Genesis, and we'll be teaching through, Lord willing, the whole chapter of uh, Genesis, of chapter 34. And you'll see in your outline that I've titled it, Delays, Disobedience, and Destruction. You can, if you want to, throw deceit in the middle of all of that as well, or encompassing the whole chapter in itself. Um, and we'll see that pattern um, displayed throughout this chapter as we work through it. But this morning, if you would turn with me to Genesis chapter 34, um, we will read through the text, pray, and see what the Lord has for us from his word. Genesis 34 reads this way. Now Dinah, the daughter of Leah, whom she had borne to Jacob, went out to see the women of the land. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, he seized her and lay with her and humiliated her. And his soul was drawn to Dinah and the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor, saying, Get me this girl for my wife. Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah. But his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it, and the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. But Hamor spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give us your daughters, to, give your daughters to us, and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us, and the land shall be open to you. Dwell, and trade in it, and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes, and whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will, and I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me the young woman to be my wife." The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamer deceitfully, because he had defiled their sister Dinah. They said to them, we cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised, for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. Then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become one people. But if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. And the young man did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house. So Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of their city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives, and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to dwell with us to become one people, when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. Will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. And all who went out of the gate of the city listened to Hamar and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of his city. And on the third day, when they were sore, two of the sons of Jacob, Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers, took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamar. And his son Shechem with a sword and took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys and whatever was in the city and in the field, all their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, you have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Parasites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. But they said, Should he treat our sister like a prostitute? This is the word of God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for its truth in that every word. Lord, you desire for us to consider, for us to, um, to reflect on, for us to learn from. Lord, we recognize that we, when we're not in fellowship with you and we live independently, that when we don't consider your ways and respond in obedience, our life is a complete mess. Lord, when we fail to live out the responsibilities that you have given to us, we impact others' lives. Lord God, you are a mighty God. You are a good God. You are just and whole. We thank you for your, for your word. We thank you for the many truths that are found throughout it, for the relevance of it to our very lives today. Lord, we thank you for the opportunity that we have to continue working through this book. Lord, this historical account, may we learn from it, may we apply it to our lives, to the very practice of our faithfulness to you as your disciples, sons and daughters of Jesus Christ. So we thank you and we rejoice. In Christ's name we pray. Well, it's quite a passage. (laughs) And in this passage, we see inexcusable behavior. Inexcusable behavior and treatment of Dinah. We also see a lack of response at all from her father, Jacob. And we see an incredibly sinful response of her brother's. One thing you may have noticed while we read through this chapter is the lack of the Lord being mentioned. Did you hear his name? Did you hear the sons? Did you hear Jacob going before the Lord in an outcry, with outrage to what had been done to Dinah? God is not mentioned in this chapter. Jacob and his family were acting just like any other pagan people group. And they're going to track through this passage. We're going to consider Jacob specifically. We're going to see his delayed obedience to God. We're going to read and see his lack of care for his kids, even though they were adult kids. We'll see his passivity. We'll see how he concedes his responsibilities to his sons when they step up to lead. He doesn't interject, though he interjects later and scolds them. His concern for himself and his inheritance to God is what we recognize in the very end of this passage. There's three points before we get into the numbered points in your outline. And the first one is man's delay to obey God is sin. Man's delay to obey God is sin. Meaning we believe that we know better than God. We believe we know when we should start to be obedient to what he has for us. He's sovereign, he knows all things, but somehow we think we know better. You profit nothing of true value by postponing being obedient to God's commands. Rather, on the contrary, we bring his just judgment upon our very life. Secondly, in your notes, man's passivity to God's commands is sin. Man's passivity to God's commands is sin. God's commands to us are not there for our choosing. It's not a buffet where you go and you select the commands that you want, and like, this one I want to be obedient today, maybe that one tomorrow. This one I can do, that one is too difficult. This one is an idol that I don't want to respond to today. I want to keep worshiping it in my life. The Spirit uses our knowledge of God's commands in our lives, to drive us to obedience. When we're in God's words and we hear of his commands, his spirit is instructing us to live them out. Not only that, the spirit equips us to live a life that is pleasing to the Lord. Lastly, and the third point there, man's passivity to God's commands is sin. We did that one. Next one. Man's prideful path is separation and disobedience to God, or you can put in sin if you would like. When we delay or are passive to God's instruction, we're considering ourselves to be the very Lord of our life. We say that Jesus is our Savior. We say that he is our Lord, and our life should reflect that. Our life should reflect the very um, understanding that God is God of all things, and he's the God of my life today and tomorrow. As Bob prayed, thy will be done. But when we when we delay being obedient to God, when we're passive to him, when we walk in our pride, we truly are saying, my will be done, as opposed to thy will be done. So today we're going to look at Jacob's example throughout this chapter. We're going to consider all that has transpired in this passage. And the first thing that we notice in chapter 34 is actually leading into it. Genesis 31, 13, we hear that God says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed a pillar and made a vow to me. Now arise, go out from this land and return to the land of your kindred. Where's Jacob? Where is his family? Well, he's on a slow journey. And in fact, in chapter 33, verse 19, we're informed that he's actually purchased land. He's not just passing through Shechem. He's actually purchased land here. He's becoming a... Temporary, or at least, or a permanent, or possibly a temporary resident. He's got interest involved with these people, with this people group. He buys land in Shechem. He purchases it from Hamor, where he had pitched his tent. And Hamor is the father of Shechem, who ends up doing this egregious act against Dinah. Point number one in your teaching outline, delayed obedience is disobedience. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Commands from God spoken directly to you must be obeyed according to his timing and his instruction. How does God speak to us today? Speaks to us through his word, by his spirit, gives us clarity and, and understanding of what his word is saying, and every day as we are in his word, we should be hearing his voice. Read it out loud. That's how you can hear God's voice audibly. You might be familiar with the verse in James chapter 4, verse 9, verse 17. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. And I would encourage you to turn to James chapter 4. I want to read from this passage, James four thirteen through 17, we'll read this morning. We might, we might regularly practice the term as the Lord wills, and this is where this passage comes from. But the Lord's will also includes timing. So I want to drive home the point that delayed obedience to God is disobedience. It's sin against him. James chapter 4, starting in verse 13, says, "'Come now, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town "'and spend a year there and trade and make a profit.'" We have a clear passage in James chapter 4 that describes how Jacob was disobedient, how he had made made plans going against God's will for his life, how he was delaying his obedience to the Lord. He was slow-tracking obedience to the Lord. He was on a trajectory to obedience, but he took his time in doing it and living it out. We know that God's direct will for each and every one of us who are his children, his sons, and his daughters is that we would be conformed to the image of Christ, his Son, our Savior, our Lord. That we would be sanctified, that we would grow increasingly in the righteousness of God in our very life, that we would grow in obedience to God. That's what it means to be righteous, obedient to God. God has called us to holiness as 1 Thessalonians 4 continues to inform us and tell us. Luke chapter 12 verse 47 and 48 I want to read two verses for you. They speak this is Jesus speaking of disobedience to the master. What kind of discipline might the Lord judge for your or for my disobedience? It reads this way, Jesus speaking. And that servant who knew his master's will, but did not get ready or act according to his will, will receive a severe beating. But the one who did not know and did what deserved a beating will receive a light beating. Everyone to whom much was given of him, much will be required. And from him to whom they entrusted much, they will demand the more. Our God is a a faithful God. He loves us and he cares for us. And in his love, he also disciplines us. I pray that we are always quick to respond to the discipline of the Lord, that we wouldn't be like the Israelite people who wandered in the desert for 40 years before they actually would bow before the Lord and recognize him for who he is. But there were consequences for their disobedience to the Lord. Jesus continues in John 14, 15, where he tells his disciples, that if you love me, you will keep my commandments. It's not you should or you might. He's like, you will. If you truly love the Lord God, you will keep his commandments. And then John 15, 14, Jesus flips it and turns it around for us to understand that you are my friends if you do what I command you. Do you call yourselves a friend of our Lord Jesus Christ? And does your life reflect his desire for you to actually live out his commandments in your life. Today I think we think too lightly about God's commands. We look at them truly as, as something that we need to grow in, but we really don't strive to live them out. We don't read them and and feel a deep burden in our soul that we would actually be living that life, that life of obedience to the Lord that he might want to use us to reflect him and to glorify other glorify the Lord God Next in our passage the very beginning of our chapter Jacob doesn't provide a covering for Dinah And we see this in verse 1 it says Now Dinah the daughter of Leah whom she had born to Jacob went out to see the women of the land And in my study one of the commentaries had some helpful notes on here that to see the daughters of the land, it would have been unusual, especially in the ancient Near East, for young girls or women to leave the camp without a chaperone, especially when going to a city in a new land. Dinah's act represents a youthful indiscretion. As it placed her in the company of women, not bound to the covenant that Jacob and his family were. And elsewhere, the phrase women of the land and other similar phrases have negative undertones. So this wasn't a good thing that she was going out, that she had interest in finding out more about the women of the land. All that to say, the narrative never suggests that Dinah bears responsibility for what happened to her. We continue on in verse 2. And when Shechem, the son of Hamor the Hivite, the prince of the land, saw her, He seized her and he lay with her and humiliated her. She's violated by him. She's raped by him. Verse three to four is such a bizarre passage. It says, his soul was drawn to Dinah, the daughter of Jacob. He loved the young woman and spoke tenderly to her. So Shechem spoke to his father Hamor saying, get me this girl for my wife. Point number two in your teaching outline, our disobedience puts others at risk this terrible act that just happened. What was Jacob doing? He was living disobediently to God's commands. He had not brought up his family to obey the Lord's commands. They were idolizing other nations. They were living in a way where they wanted to be part of what was happening. Back in Genesis 18, 19, for I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him So the generations that we are looking at today, that he may command his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised. We certainly don't see righteousness or justice throughout this chapter. In fact, it was Jacob's disobedience to God that had his family where they were and that showed an interest in being amongst the people of the land, right? He's the one who purchased the land. He said, we're going to stay here we're going to be part of this land. We're going to see you know, who these people are. We're going to live harmoniously, maybe in unison with them. Was that God's desire? No, it was that he would be on his way to Bethel. Next, we see in this passage where Jacob hears of Dinah's defiling, and he holds his peace until his sons return from the field. Hamor, Shechem's father, is the one who petitions Jacob to give Dinah in marriage to Shechem, and he, he requests an alliance of the peoples in marriage. Not only that, but also in trade and also with land. And then in this passage, we see, see how Shechem asks for favor. He doesn't show any sign of, of remorse. He asks, doesn't confess and ask for forgiveness. He asks for favor in the eyes of Jacob and the brothers and, the other, and offers anything of his that they might want in return for Dinah as his bride. Point number three, disobedience reflects our pride and selfishness. Disobedience reflects our pride and selfishness. Verse five reads, Now Jacob heard that he had defiled his daughter Dinah, but his sons were with his livestock in the field, so Jacob held his peace until they came. And Hamor, the father of Shechem, went out to Jacob to speak with him. I don't know how that's possible, how he could hold his peace. Certainly Jacob was not thinking of Dinah. He hadn't gone to rescue her. We don't hear of that. Where is Dinah? We we read later on that she's actually still with Shechem. He hadn't gone out to his sons. Maybe he had sent word to them. We continue on in verse 7. The sons of Jacob had come in from the field as soon as they heard of it. Did they hear of it from the servants from other people in the clan? And the men were indignant and very angry because he had done an outrageous thing in Israel by lying with Jacob's daughter, for such a thing must not be done. Jacob's sons were indignant and angry. Such a thing must not be done. He defiled the name of Israel. They don't mention what he had done to Dinah. They're concerned about the name of Israel to whom they were representatives of. They were concerned about themselves. We don't hear specifically of their concern for Dinah. We don't hear that they demanded her release. They didn't ask where she was. They didn't ask that she be returned or to know where she was, never mind how she was. They were concerned for their name and honor amongst these people. The next passage in verse 8 continues on with the story, with this account. Hamar spoke with them, saying, The soul of my son Shechem longs for your daughter. Please give her to him to be his wife. Make marriages with us. Give your daughters to us and take our daughters for yourselves. You shall dwell with us and the land shall be open to you. Dwell and trade in it and get property in it. Shechem also said to her father and to her brothers, Let me find favor in your eyes. And whatever you say to me, I will give. Ask me for as great a bride price and gift as you will. And I will give whatever you say to me. Only give me this young woman to be my wife. So Hamer makes this petition for Dinah's hand in marriage for his son Shechem, the one who had done this terrible act against her. And Hamer attempts to sweeten the pot and to appease the men with adding to their wealth, right? Not only am I going to offer this price, but there's so much good in it, right? If you would just give your daughter, Dinah, to us for my son, think of what you would benefit from it. He's trying to convince them. He tries to pay for wrong, but as we hear later, it was, he had selfish interests as well then Shechem adds to his father's offer, right? He has this desperate plea. He's like, whatever you ask, whatever would be a faithful bride price for Dinah, you just ask of it and I will give it to you. He specifically notes the bride price. As we continue on in the passage, Jacob concedes his authority and he passively allows his sons to deal for Dinah. He doesn't step up and take responsibility. He doesn't demand justice. He doesn't seek his daughter's hand that she would be able to be released from them and brought home to safety and comforted. Verse 13. The sons of Jacob answered Shechem and his father Hamar deceitfully because he had defiled their sister Dinah. The sons follow Jacob's practices. And it's not only Jacob's practices. We know going all the way back to Abraham, there's this pattern of deceitfulness. And so don't think that the ways that you live your life in front of your family, in front of others, is not recognized and is not followed by them. We're very quick to emulate what we see. So the sons follow Jacob's practices of deceitfulness and they demand that the men be circumcised so as to not be a disgrace to them. Right? Again, they're concerned about themselves. Verse 14 says this, They said to them, We cannot do this thing to give our sister to one who is uncircumcised for that would be a disgrace to us. Only on this condition will we agree with you that you will become as we are by every male among you being circumcised. What was circumcision for? Was it to be with this people group? Circumcision was this amazing covenant between God and Abraham and his descendants. And they presented to, the, to these men as a way for them to be made right. If this condition of circumcision is not met, verse 16 says, then we will give our, then we will, if, the, if it is met, sorry, then we will give our daughters to you and we will take your daughters to ourselves and we will dwell with you and become One people. Clear to see that was not their intention. They had a plan. It wasn't, if not, we will take our daughter and we will be gone. Verse 17 says, but if you will not listen to us and be circumcised, then we will take our daughter and be gone. There's no mention of Jacob's objection to this plan, his interjection to correct what was being offered. He sits there passively. Point number four, our inactivity can lead to others' disobedience. Jacob should have stepped up and done what was right. Should have counseled his men and his sons and scolded them for such devious and deceitfulness. Verse 18 goes on in this account. Their words pleased Hamor and Hamor's son Shechem. This was pleasing to their ears. They were like, okay, we're going to get what we came here to barter for. And the young men did not delay to do the thing because he delighted in Jacob's daughter. Now he was the most honored of all his father's house, as we heard before he was prince. So Hamar and his son Shechem came to the gate of the city and spoke to the men of their city, saying, These men are at peace with us. Let them dwell in the land and trade in it. For behold, the land is large enough for them. Let us take their daughters as wives and let us give them our daughters. Only on this condition will the men agree to, to dwell with us and become one people, when every male among us is circumcised as they are circumcised. What more is in it for these men, in addition to the daughters and marriage? Right? They continue to try and sell this idea of the, all these men being circumcised. Verse 23 goes on, will not their livestock, their property, and all their beasts be ours? Only let us agree with them, and they will dwell with us. So what's the outcome? What happens? Verse 24, and all who went out of the gate of the his city listened to Hamar and his son Shechem. And every male was circumcised, all who went out of the gate of the his city. So Hamar and Shechem carried incredible influence coercive powers and what they were offering as well to these people. They knew how to convince the men and they knew what was necessary to say. And these men, men went along with the deal they would, and they would do their part. Next in our passage, we see Simeon and Levi's murderous plan of action, right? We, we start to understand why they demanded that these men be circumcised. It seems strange that they would demand such a thing. Point number five in your teaching outline. Vengeance is God's. Vengeance is God's. He is the one who is just, and we are not. Verse 25 and 26, the story continues. This historical account. On the third day, when they were sore, two of, his son, two of the sons of Jacob, so Simeon and Levi, Dinah's brothers took their swords and came against the city while it felt secure and killed all the males. They killed Hamar and his son Shechem with a sword, and they took Dinah out of Shechem's house and went away. So we're informed that it's specifically Simeon and Levi, and most likely they also had those under their um, within their personal families and clans who helped them in this slaughter. We read that Simeon and Levi killed every single man of the city. And that at that point, Dinah's name is reintroduced into the chapter. She's in Shechem's house still. And they took her out of Shechem's house. Now the story doesn't stop there. right? They've slaughtered all the men, they've got Dinah back. Next we read of the sons of Jacob. So now the rest of Jacob's sons are participating in this. The sons of Jacob plunder the city because, here's their justification, that they had defiled Dinah. So they're justifying their actions. The brothers took everything from everywhere. Listen to all that they did. Verse 27. The sons of Jacob came upon the slain and plundered the city because they had defiled their sister. They took their flocks and their herds, their donkeys, and whatever was in the city and in the field. All their wealth, all their little ones and their wives, all that was in the houses they captured and plundered. Do we take things into our own hands? Or do we lay them at the feet of God, who is the perfect judge, the one who is our deliverer in life, the only one who can truly think clearly through such an atrocious act and what might be a right response? The one who can actually enforce a discipline that is, that is exact. It's difficult for us to understand why these atrocities could happen against God's children. But we too sin against God. We gladly receive his grace. We welcome reconciliation <clears throat> with others. We pray for those who are our enemies. They need Jesus just like we need him. Genesis 18 verse 20, "Remind us that, that God sees all things and He knows all things. There was an outcry that God heard, an outcry against Sodom and Gomorrah. What does God do? He goes out to see if the outcry was just. Is it true what I hear of Sodom and Gomorrah? And what does God do later in Genesis 1924? The Lord reigned on Sodom and Gomorrah, sulfur and fire out of heaven. He overthrew the cities and the fields. The Lord is the one who is just. He's the one who um, enforces the discipline in his wrath. Psalm 37 reminds us that the Lord is the righteous one. If you would turn with me this morning over to Romans chapter 12, I want to read from that passage this morning. Romans chapter 12, and we'll start in verse 14. We're probably familiar with verse 19. That vengeance is mine, says the Lord, that I will repay the Lord. But there's so much in this, in this short paragraph of Romans chapter 12 that is helpful for us this morning. Romans chapter 12, starting in verse 14. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. For by doing, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Vengeance is mine, says the Lord. I will repay, says the Lord. The Lord is truly just. Even as we read this passage in Romans, we don't hear of Jacob and his sons weeping with Dinah, who I'm sure was weeping. We're warned not to repay evil for evil, but to live in peaceful ways as much as it depends on us. God is just. He's also all-powerful, and he's able to avenge to the fullness and exact and perfectly according to his will. So to think that we could avenge a wrong without our own pride, without our own hatred, without our own disapproval for what has been done against us. is not right. Psalm 37, verse 39 through 40, encourages us that the salvation of the righteous is from the Lord. It's a gift from God. He is their stronghold in the time of trouble. The Lord helps them and delivers them. He delivers them from the wicked and saves them because they take refuge in him. May we truly turn to Christ at all times to take refuge in him and not take things into our own hands. Next in our passage, closing out this chapter, Jacob responds concerned for himself and in particular God's covenant promise to him, to his his lineage. Verse 30, Then Jacob said to Simeon and Levi, These are the two brothers that murdered all the men. You have brought trouble on me by making me stink to the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few, and if they gather themselves against me and attack me, I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. So Jacob calls out Simeon and Levi in this passage, right? And what 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 is the Lord drawing our attention to? his concern for himself, his name, how they might have impacted God's possible covenant promise and fulfillment of it to them. Simeon and Levi were not, were not committing a revenge, which is retaliation in kind or degree. Right? They didn't respond in kind in the similar way. Nor did they act in a vengeful way which inflicts punishment for an offense as retribution. It was hundredfold or even worse. Simeon and Levi respond to Jacob, how, with this self-justification question. But they said, should he treat our sister like a prostitute? That was their response. No remorse, no regret. Just, should he treat our, our sister this way? He had it coming. And so did all the people in the land. What happens when we are separated in fellowship from the Lord? We raise ourselves up as Lord of our life. We act in ways that are displeasing to the Lord, that are impacting others, that are impacting those under our care. Point number six in your outline, consider your actions first, then those entrusted to your care. Jacob negates his responsibility in this mess. We never hear of his responsibility, his negligence, his concern for his daughter, Dinah. Rather, he's self-focused and worried how this entire fiasco might actually impact God's covenant promise to him. It's the blame shift, right? Look what you have done. Look what you've done and how it's going to impact me. It takes us back and reminds me of Genesis 3. How did Adam respond to God? God. Genesis 3.12, the man said to God, the woman whom you gave to be with me, she gave me the fruit of the tree and I ate. Look what she has done. Look what you have done, God. You gave me this woman. It's your fault. It's your responsibility. In the same way, Jacob, Jacob doesn't call it his sons for what they did. The plundering and enslaving of women and children, killing of all the men. Nor does Jacob call out Simeon and Levi for their murderous acts against all these men. Not just Shechem, the one who committed this act against Dinah. Our own sinfulness has consequences. Consequences in our life, in our family's life, and those around us. If we continue on in Genesis 3, 17 through 19, we read of the curse that is impacting us today. And to dust you shall return. David, after confessing his sinfulness to God and seeking forgiveness with a repentant heart, was told of the consequences of his sin when Prophet Nathan tells him that, nevertheless, because of his because of this deed that you have utterly scorned the Lord, the child who is born to you shall die. Sinfulness impacts. Not only our life, but others around us. We see the the curse of Adam as the seed of Adam is how each man is born, born in his sinfulness. Born with a prideful desire to be Lord of our life, born with a desire to, to be responsible for all things that we want to be responsible and to pass the buck to whoever else we don't we want to take the blame with. It leads us to a call to action as we look at this chapter where we haven't heard God's name mentioned. It's referred to where this promise of God's covenant promise of blessing for generations to come, whom the Savior would come from, but he's never mentioned. So this morning, if you don't know the Lord, this is a response that, that the Lord is calling for you to do. If you know the Lord and you're his disciple, it's a call to sanctification. Point number one in your outline is confess and take responsibility. Confession is owning up to what you have done, saying, I have sinned against you, Lord. Often in our prayer life, confession is probably something we don't spend a lot of time on. We might have those things that come to mind very quickly and we confess those and respond to them, but we really don't consider very deeply all that needs to be confessed. Proverbs 21.2 warns us Every way of man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the heart. Don't look at your life from your own perspective. Look at it through the holy word of God. Psalm 139, 23, 24, again, we read how David asked the Lord to search him. And in this, in this that the Lord would actually convict him of any sin. God in his grace, as 1 John 1.9 promises, if we confess our sin, he is the one who's faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness, to cleanse us from it. We're to confess our sin against the Lord and receive grace from God. It's who he is. Let us not walk lightly in our sinfulness. Next, as we consider our ways confronting any sinfulness, after confession, we're to repent. Repentance is that turning in obedience to God immediately, right? No delay. When we know what we are called to do after we've, after we've confessed our sin against God, turn in obedience to God immediately. Proverbs 21.2, or 21.3, sorry, goes on to say, to do, his, to do righteousness and justice is more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. We know that God doesn't desire our, our sacrifices for sins that we have done. He desires our obedience to him. Truly, he desires us to confess our sin when we confess him, but he would rather us not even commit the sin against him. Jesus called all of us to repent and believe the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ, that he is the one who paid for our sins. He paid for them fully and completely Then in him we have new life, that we can live a life that's pleasing to him as as we study his word, as we take to heart his commands, and as we walk in the spirit in step with the spirit, not lagging behind, delaying to obey the Lord. Then we get to see the fruit of the spirit. We see the joy of the Lord in our life as we live a life that's victorious, as we live a life of abundance in Christ Jesus our Lord. Thirdly, as we consider our ways, and confront our sinfulness, we need to actually seek what else we need to turn to God in obedience to. We need to seek it out, not just as we look at the scriptures, listen attentively. We need to actually pursue the scriptures and seek out what God would have for us to to grow in obedience to. Psalm 119, I'm not going to read it this morning. Um, It's an incredible chapter. There's so much fruitfulness in it for, for you. I would encourage you to Maybe take a verse a day and and read through it in addition to a reading plan you have. Or if you're doing the the plan that we have, the five-day reading, read Psalm 119 on the off days. Psalm 119, 10, 11 reminds us that it's with our whole heart that we are to seek the Lord. That we're to store his word in our very heart so that we might not sin against God. Later on in verse 15 and 16, we're reminded to be meditating on God's law to be fixed on them, to be delighting in them? Do we do that? Do we hide God's word in our heart so that we can actually meditate on it? So not only in the morning when we read it, but that we actually hide it in our heart that we are memorizing his scripture so later on in the day we can be bringing it to recollection, that we can be thinking on it and considering how we need to respond to it. Do you find delight in God's law? When you read a command and instruction from him, are you excited and it's like, I can't believe I get to live in obedience to this command <clears throat> To this command today. Colossians 3 is a great chapter that reminds us that we are to seek the things above, that we're to have our minds set on them, that we are to put to death all that is earthly, every single thing, and that we're to put on love with holy and compassionate hearts. Next in our outline, we're to confess, we're to repent, we're to seek, we're to practice. Practice quick obedience that glorifies God and blesses others. Practice obedience. It should be the pattern in your life. We're warned in 1 John 1.3 that we're not to be practicing sinfulness, that it shouldn't be the habit of our life. But the contrary of that is that we should be practicing obedience to the Lord. It should be our practice to honor and glorify God in all that we do and all that we say, including our, our, our um, thought life. 1 Peter 2.12 says, Keep your conduct. Right? Don't worry about the others beside you. First, most importantly, recognize your personal responsibility before the Lord. Keep your conduct honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good works, your good deeds, and glorify God on the day of redemption, of visitation. So we, in this passage, saw Jacob's delay to obey God. And we called it sin for what it was. And we read of his passivity to God's command, his delay, his passivity to them. We saw how his pride led him to be separate from fellowship where God wasn't even mentioned in this chapter. Today, once you confess, repent, seek, and live a life practicing obedience to the Lord by his word, through his spirit. Let's pray together. Our Lord God, thank you for this chapter. Thank you. Though it was difficult to read, to think on, to fathom and to even consider, Lord, we know that this isn't one instance in a historical count. Lord, but it continues today, and there's many here in our body who have been impacted by it. Father, we thank you for your word and for its truth. We thank you for your spirit that does its mighty, powerful work within our lives. May we, as your sons and daughters, never delay in obeying your commandments. May we never be passive to your instructions. And may our pride increasingly diminish every single day of our life as Christ abides in us and as you are glorified. Father, I pray for any here today who don't know you, Lord, that they would recognize your holiness. They would recognize Christ as their Savior and that he was the one who paid their sin debt. And Lord, that they would turn to you and accept that free gift of salvation, that they would confess their sin, repent of it, and walk in your spirit according to your ways. And Father, that's our prayer for each one of us who are believers today, that we would grow increasingly obedient, that our love for you would abound more and more each and every single day. Lord, that we would be drawn to your word, that even in this next year, as some might might make resolutions, Lord, but that it would be our resolve each and every single day to thrive under your leadership, under your throne, and under your lordship. And it's in Christ's name that we can pray and we rejoice. Amen.